Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you. Today we're going to be in our Yeshua, Son of David, exploring Matthew's Gospel series. And today in Lesson 14, we're going to look at Jesus, the Son of God, as the motivator. The motivator. I want us to look in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to study verses 1 through 18 today. We're going to see Jesus as the motivator here as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount found in chapters 5 through 7. Now we're going to see Jesus as the motivator as we consider the next instructions and clarifications he gives in reference to practical living out of our faith on a continual basis. We saw how he is here speaking to a variety of practical daily topics and teaching his followers the truth about Torah and the Tanakh, the Old Testament, revealing not only the letter of the scriptures themselves, but also God's heart in what he said and how it applies to his followers then and even now. Continuing now, let's consider this next topic that he addresses and see him as the instructor giving us motivation that is correct and pleases the Lord. In this section, he addresses three main actions that believers would be involved in in terms of honoring God in faithful duty and service. The three are these, charity and giving, donations, etc., prayer, and fasting. Notice one key word with all of these in every one as we read these scriptures. Matthew chapter 6 verse 1 through 18 says this, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, 
and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So here again, we're looking at three main categories here of things that Christians are to do on a continual basis that is expected and part of our love for the Lord and our growth as his disciple and our participation in the faith and in honoring our God. But notice in all three, there's a key word. It says, when you. In other words, not if, but rather when. In other words, these are to be done. There's an expectation from the Lord that these will be a part of our daily life and routine in Christianity. Part of the Christian actions, because of our faith and love for God, are these, and they are to be done to honor and obey him, done to share, and done in service to him, the audience of one, the one who will give us and reward us in his way and in his time. Here again, Jesus gets to the heart of these matters of Christian life and service. So let's look at all three and take them apart a little bit more deeply to see what God is saying here. Charity and giving. He says to take heed. In other words, be aware and watch out. And he goes to the heart of the matter to challenge the motive for charity and giving. He says, do not do it to be seen and approved of before men or in their face to be seen by them, wanting their approval, their attention. If that is your motive in doing any charity or any giving, no reward from God will come to you because you already have it. But Jesus clarifies and he says, this is the right way to give charity. Do not go sounding the trumpet. In other words, don't make, don't make there be a fanfare about it. Don't desire glory and praise and approval from men. Don't draw attention to yourself. Because if you do, you have the only reward you'll get. And it is a fleeting, non-lasting reward. But rather, he says, to keep it private. Keep your charity, your giving private. Don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing, he says. In other words, keep it concealed. Make it no big deal in terms of any fanfare or attention. Keep it concealed. Keep it private. It needs to be secretive. Even some places and some people will even take this to mean perhaps anonymous. And I've done that myself sometimes, giving anonymously. Why do we need to do it in the way that Jesus is saying? Because he tells us when it's done in this way, for the audience of one, God the Father, the Father who sees in secret, who knows your heart, who knows your actions, who knows your motive. He rewards openly. 
Now we're going to talk about that in a moment, but it's really putting us and pointing us to this Bema seat that is coming. It's really pointing us to the coming Bema seat judgment of Christ. And I want us to understand that a little more as we close up here a little bit later. God keeps a record. He will reward everyone according to their works. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, he talks about how after Solomon had explored all these other things in life, he comes down to the heart of the matter and he says, what really matters is that you know and fear God and you have a good relationship with him and obey him and know that he will reward everyone according to their deeds, whether good or bad. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. I want us to read that one together. Second Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 9, it says this, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. In whatever matter, in everything that we're doing, to be well-pleasing to him. For, and this is the reason, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And that word for bad means worthless or useless of no real value. So Paul is telling us there's coming a day when we will give an account for these things, when we will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ for what we have done. Not only what we have done, but what are the motives? What, why did we do what we did? Did we do it to be seen by men? Or did we do it for the Father who sees in secret? Did we do it for the audience of one? Did we do it for his approval? In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, it also says a very similar thing. Paul writes to the Corinthians in his first letter to them, and he says this, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise or commendation will come from God. We need to seek the commendation that comes from God, what Jesus is saying here. Do it in secret because there's one who sees in secret. And he's the audience of one. He's the only one that we need to be pleasing. He's the only one that we need to be seeking commendation from. And we need to check our motives and work for him and him alone. Pleasing the audience of one. Then Jesus moves to prayer. He's already addressed how we give. And that would include financial support. It would include our time, talents, treasures, whatever we're giving in regard to charity and helping bless the poor and others. And those things are important. Jesus, remember, said to, said to us, when you do your charity, when you give your alms, when you give your offerings, to do it in this way. So now he moves to the topic of prayer. And here again, he's getting to the heart of the matter, addressing motives and action. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They like to stand where they can be seen by others, standing tall in synagogues or churches, we might say, or on street corners where people are in the marketplaces because they want to be seen. They want their prayers to resound and they want to use all these flowing words and theological terms and all of this big language 
so that they can be seen and recognized as being somebody by others. Jesus said they have no other reward coming. They have gotten their reward. And it is fleeting. And it is non-lasting. But Jesus teaches us the right way to pray. He says, first and foremost, pray in secret. Now, that does not mean there's not a time for corporate prayer or praying with a friend or praying in a small group. There is definitely a time for that. But on a regular basis also, and I would encourage you, make it a daily discipline of the faith. Pray in secret. He says, go into your closet or into your room into an inner room. It just simply means a chamber or a spot for privacy where you can get alone, get alone in secret, a spot where you will be alone with the Lord in secret, just you and God. I remember reading and hearing the story told about Susanna Wesley, how she had so many children and she really didn't have a way to get away from the children to be alone, but yet she was determined to pray. And so she would place the apron over her. She would turn her apron and pour it over her head. And that was her little prayer closet, so to speak. That was her little time where she could be alone with the Lord, praying. He tells us to get alone, get in a secret place, shut the door. In other words, many of us, I think, struggle with this part of it. And that is closing out and shutting out distractions and other activities, getting still, and quiet, being able to focus and concentrate and give attention to praying. And then he says to pray, to beseech the Father, to call out to the Lord and to bring our petitions before him. And we pray to the Father in Jesus' name. That is what Jesus has taught us to do. Note the Father sees in secret. He looks at us. He beholds us. He is inclined to our prayers. He sees in the secret place. And here again, he will reward us openly, publicly at the coming Bema seat. Jesus says, now when you're praying, don't use vain repetitions. It doesn't mean you can't use the same words. It just means we're not to stutter or pray tediously. We're to not go on and on and on with words repeated like a stutter, but are empty and have no real meaning from our heart. That's what he's saying. He's saying it's better to use even a few words and mean what you say, what you are praying. Let it be something you mean. Let it be real, something alive to you. It's not the amount of words that matter, but the heart behind them that you mean them, and that you approach God reverently in your asking. Don't follow such examples as the heathen in vain repetitions, because God the Father already knows what you need before you even ask, but he still invites us and encourages us to ask. We are still to pray and entreat God, appeal to him for mercy and grace, recognizing him as the giver of every good and perfect gift and humbly asking our petitions before the Holy God. So in verse 9 through 13, the Lord gives us the model prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, which I believe may be kind of a misnomer because the Lord's Prayer truly is found in John 17. 
but this is a model prayer. He tells us in this manner. In other words, in this way, in the same similitude or likeness of this prayer. And he says, the prayer is our Father in heaven. Here again, we're not to use vain repetitions and just repeat these and have no meaning with them. But this is the model prayer that the Lord has given to us. And he says, our Father in heaven, meaning we are recognizing our great Father. We must be in relationship with him, be his child through faith in Jesus Christ to be able to even come before him. And we're told that in John chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, how all as many as receive him, they become the children of God. Then he says, our Father who art in heaven, where God is abiding, hallowed be thy name. An acknowledgement of his holy name, a recognition, acknowledgement, and praise of his high and holy name above all others. It speaks of coming reverently. He says, thy kingdom come. This is in honor and recognition of his kingship, his worthiness, his royalty, and pleading for his kingdom to come and rule on the earth. Jesus' return as king of kings is what we're calling out for, to establish his kingdom that we find in Revelation chapter 20. In this manner, he says, he goes on and he says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The plea for the Lord's complete will to be done here on all the earth and in our lives, just like it is in heaven where it is done completely unhindered and beautifully. Now, he says, ask your needed petitions. Lord, would you give us our daily bread? I believe he's talking here about the physical, natural food and provisions that we need every day. Of course, yes, he is because he cares about us. But also he's speaking of spiritual bread, the bread of life, the word of God. God wants you to know his word. God wants you to be reading his word daily. He wants to feed you the bread of life daily. And he wants you to be growing as a solid, full, mature Christian in the Lord, a disciple of Jesus. He says, and forgive us our sins. It's the plea for forgiveness of our own sins, errors, failures, and faults. Notice the tie that Jesus makes here. As we forgive others, forgive us our debts as we forgive the debts of others. In the same way, in the same manner, there is no disconnect. We must forgive in order to be forgiven. Then he cries out, he teaches us to cry out for the walk of victory and freedom daily that God would not lead us into temptation. Now, I want you to understand that God will never tempt anyone. He's not going to lead you into temptation in the sense that he's going to try to guide you there or doesn't care that you go there. In other words, the request here is more, don't let us get carried into, keep us from temptation. I might see it this way, that it's to work in our lives, the work of freedom and victory so we overcome temptation and are not falling into it. We need to understand the truth. God will not be leading us into temptation, but we need to also be aware that we can easily fall. And so we're asking, Lord, don't let us get carried into this. Keep us from it. In James chapter 1, verse 12 through 18, it says this, 
Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he or she is drawn away by his or her own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So this prayer is more in line with what James is saying here, that we would ask the Lord keep us from being able to fall into that. Don't let us get carried into those things. Do a work in our life so that we can walk and live in victory and freedom from those temptations and overcome them. We recognize where temptation comes from, and it's from our own desires, our own weakness, our own failures. So we are beseeching God's help in overcoming that. He says to pray that rather, instead of the Lord allowing us to be carried away, that God would deliver us from the evil one, deliver us from evil. Lord, we need your help. We need your deliverance to overcome. Would you rush in and rescue us? And that word for evil is poneros, and it means the kind of evil that not only will be evil and bad itself and content to do that, oh no, no, it's got to draw you in to destroy you and bring you down to hell. That's the pure evil that Jesus is praying and saying, pray that God will deliver us from that evil, that he will reach in and rescue us from that evil and that evil one. And then in the closing of the model prayer, he says, give praise to God, recognition and reverence of him. In other words, he says, thine or yours is the kingdom belongs to you. The power belongs to you. The glory belongs to you. It's yours and yours alone. The kingdom, the royalty, both now and forever, he is king. The power, the dunamis, the ability for work. The ability to accomplish these things is all his. The glory, the praise, the worship, and the exaltation forever and ever, amen, is all his. Age into age into age, perpetually, where there is no end. It belongs to him. The power, the glory, and the kingdom, it is all his, amen. Then, in verse 14 and 15 of this model prayer section where Jesus is teaching us about the right way to pray. He also speaks about the essentiality of forgiveness. In other words, we must freely forgive others. It must be given to others in our heart, in the heart of the one praying. You must forgive. Let that person go from the demand to repay you for the wrong they have done. We need to understand what true forgiveness is. It is not emotional. It is not even desirous. You may not have any emotion for it. You may not even want to do it. 
but with God it is required. Why? Because God the Father sets all and forgives all free who will simply call upon him, believing in the promise and the truth of Jesus' atoning work on the cross. It's required because Jesus fulfilled it himself. God the Father forgives freely all who will believe in the work that Jesus did on their behalf. And all of their sins against God are wiped away and washed away in Jesus Christ. So forgiveness is not saying that those things weren't real and that they didn't really wound or hurt you, but it is releasing that person that you are not willing to forgive. It is making the decision before God by his grace in prayer with him. God, by your grace and your grace alone, I release that person from payment to me and I entrust them into your care for you to deal with it because you are a righteous God. So it's not emotional or even desired sometimes. You may not even want to, but it is required. And what it will do is set you free and you will be free then to entrust your vengeance to God who will do the work rightly. He may choose to forgive them and extend mercy. That is his heart's desire. Always that mercy triumph over judgment. But if not, if that person will not repent and believe in him, he will in time recompense and make all things right. You forgive and God will forgive you. If you do not forgive, Jesus here says, you will not be forgiven. The Father will not forgive you if you are unwilling to release someone else because he has set the pattern for us, and he has done what he is asking us to do in this way. Praise be to God. It's crucial when we come to these three things, when we look at giving and offerings and charity, praying, and even fasting, as we will see in a moment, that we check ourselves, examine our heart, keep ourselves clean, forgive others, and do these things in secret with the motive that we would be pleasing to the audience of one. Then he does speak about fasting, abstaining from food or other delights of the flesh. There's various types of fasting spoken of in scripture. There's the Isaiah 58 fast. There's the Esther fast spoken of in the book of Esther. There's the Daniel fast that's spoken of in the book of Daniel. And then there's the fast that Moses had when he went on the mountain with God, as revealed to us in the Torah. Fasting speaks of a time set aside where we will abstain from food, primarily, that's what it means in scripture, and bring the body into subjection. We're denying fleshly appetites and desires for a specific period of time and for a specific purpose. Now. We must recognize how to do this correctly and how to do it wisely, especially for those who may have health issues and other things that are true and serious and medical. So we must take it healthily. We must do it cautiously for a set period that you would determine or perhaps the Lord would ask of you. It may be a one-day fast. It may be fasting one meal 
every day for a week. It may be fasting for a three-day period of something. You determine that through the leading of the Holy Spirit or perhaps through a corporate or a church purpose. Maybe the, the pastor of the church is asking everyone, please fast one meal every day this week for this purpose. We want to pray for revival in our land or we want to pray for a certain thing. So the purpose is to spend that time Instead of eating and feeding your body, you would spend that time in the Word of God and in prayer, maybe for specific needs or petitions, extra needs for your for you or for your own family. It would be a time where you are drawing near to God in a special way and giving up your desires to seek Him for His. He says, don't fast like the hypocrites. They like to make their face and their appearance show as if they're all sad and dejected and, and really famished and starving in their outward appearance. They try to make themselves look like they're denying themselves and they're really making this great sacrifice. Jesus says they have the only reward they'll get. And it is fleeting and it is non-lasting. But Jesus says the right way, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, get clean, groom yourself, be glad, dress and groom like any other day appear to be no different. Look no differently. Once again, because you're doing it for the audience of one and the Father who sees in secret, you're doing it for him and for him alone. And he will reward you openly, which will come at the Bema seat. In all of these and more, as we see in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. Notice also he promises a coming reward ceremony openly publicly it is called the bema seat now i have another series where i've gone in depth it is called beaming at the bema it's available on my channels in the archives you can find it and we go in depth explaining second corinthians chapter 5 and first corinthians chapter 3 about this coming bema seat where every christian will appear and we will be rewarded then openly, publicly in that ceremony for the things that we have done and our motives and everything will be judged before the Lord. Not for salvation, but for rewards. So let's choose now to live for eternal purposes. Jesus will speak of this some more in the next section that we will look at in the next lesson. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for remaining episodes of Yeshua, Son of David, Exploring Matthew's Gospel. May the Lord bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.